you are uh, staying in the room, uh, you can turn to Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we'll be reading verses 8 through 15. Um, I invite you to stand as you're able as a demonstration of God's authority over your life. This is Colossians 3, starting in verse 8. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. This is God's word. You may be seated. Good morning, God's beloved and redeemed community. My name is Nate, and we are in week three of a four-part series on spiritual formation, on being formed into the likeness and image of Jesus Christ. First, foundations of formation were being in the word committing to a daily or consistent diet of feeding on the word of God second was prayer drawing near to God with confidence and in relationship through our prayer third foundation of formation in this series is community community being made more like Christ by being in relationship with his redeemed people That's how I'm going to define community for the sake of this sermon this morning. Community, being in relationship with God's redeemed people. The main point of this passage this morning in Colossians 3 is that as partakers in Christ's nature and as members of his redeemed community, we ought to love each other as Christ loved us. My intention, though, is as we unpack five points from this as that we will uh, we'll see that played out in the text but we will uncover motivations for the difficult work of community and we will gain appreciation for how community helps form us into the image of Christ so I'm going to have five points this morning first is embrace community because it is your new nature to pursue community because It is your future. To bear with community because Christ bore you. To forgive community because we were forgiven. And to be thankful for community because it is a gift. Before we do that, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we we come here as a community of people and a shared faith in you, shared redemption in you. Community is hard. And we've experienced much brokenness and hurt in community. Lord, I pray that 
this morning through your word you will convict us where we need to be convicted of loving others more like Christ is loved that you would inspire us to embrace community move forward into it and that you would even do some healing and mending in our hearts where that needs to happen so Lord I pray that your Holy Spirit would be among us and do that work in Jesus name we pray Amen all right, we're going to be walking through this passage, so uh, it might be up on the screen. I'm not sure they weren't sure earlier, but if you have your Bible or your phone in front of you, you can turn to the passage. We're going to be starting at verses 8 through 10 of chapter 3 of Colossians. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Oops, sorry, wrong chapter 3. That was Ephesians. Here's Colossians. But now, it's interesting how that was the same. little note about that, Ephesians, which we just walked through as a church, is almost identical to Colossians in a lot of ways. Written at the same time, a lot of the same themes, so you'll notice that. Colossians 3, verse 8. But now you must put then, put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. You are being renewed in the knowledge after the image of Christ. That's what we mean when we talk about spiritual formation. We mean being formed and conformed into the likeness of who God is. So who is he? What is his identity? Well, we know from the scriptures that God is a communal being. From before the creation of the world, God has actually lived in community. Who did he live in community with? He lived in community with himself. We believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, in Genesis, when God has finished creating most of creation, and he gets to man, he pauses and he says, let us, plural, make man in our image. So a singular image, not images, not in our images, but our singular image, but a plural God. How is that possible? Well, we believe because of that and many other texts that speak to the way that God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit are all one, that God existed in community with himself. One God, three persons. That is his nature. And so it's no surprise then that when he goes to make man in his image, that that part of his nature, that uh, capacity for community, that desire for community was built into us. And that's what we see next in creation. God creates Adam. And he sends Adam out to go form relationship with community. But the sun and the moon and the plants and the animals were insufficient. Up to that point, everything in community had been declared to be good. But God said, it is not good that Adam was alone. And so he created Eve. And then he said, creation is very good. It's not good for man to be alone because we share God's image. We are created for community. So God's identity is community. His activity is love pursuing community. We just finished going through the Advent season where we reflected on this very truth of God pursuing community to the point of leaving his glorious throne in heaven, entering broken 
humanity as a form of a baby, humbling himself to pursue a broken people that had rejected him and to even die for them so that he can be reconciled with them. He can reconcile them to himself. His activity is to pursue greater love and community. And so our activity should be to do the same. We should embrace community because it is our nature. Second point, we are to pursue community because it is our future. Let's read verse 11. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. What does he mean by this? Greek and Jew, uncircumcised, circumcised. What Paul is saying is that God is not just redeeming individuals to himself. He's actually redeeming an entirely new community, and a community where there's not going to be any arbitrary earthly distinctions between us anymore. There's not going to be any separation about who is greater and who is lesser, who has more power, who has less power. That's what these distinctions meant at their time. The Greeks looked down upon the Jews for their antiquated religious beliefs. They didn't think that they were as intelligent and had the same level of philosophy as they did. The Jews looked down on other people as well. When it talks about circumcised versus uncircumcised, the Jewish people held it above everyone else that they were God's chosen people, and they were. And the sign of that was circumcision. So as the church is forming and the family of God is expanding to include more people than just ethnic Jewish people, you've got people who are entering that who were circumcised because of their Jewish customs and people who weren't. The Jewish people were actually holding that above others. When they would get together for meals and for worship, the scriptures even say that they, at times, were, were eating separately from them. They had that division among them. Barbarian and Scythians, this is speaking to the civilized and the uncivilized in the world. Slave and free, those who come from lesser means, have lesser power in society, those who have more, more privilege. And he says, I am redeeming a community that will not have these distinctions among us anymore. What will unite us? What will be our common factor? That Christ is all, everything to us, and that he is in all of us that we have a shared redemption through Christ. This redeemed community is our future. It's where we are headed, where God is taking us. The trajectory of humanity starts with a single human living in isolation from the rest of community. We saw it's God. But that fell apart pretty soon too. But a single person living in isolation in the end that we see in Scripture is a multi-ethnic multitude of people who are worshiping Christ. We read this in Revelation 7, verse 9. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is Christ. So since that is our future as believers, 
you might as well start living like it now, right? Do you have relationships and interactions with Christians who are unlike you in earthly terms, but exactly like you in heavenly terms? Are you open to relationships or interactions with other believers from different denominations, from different countries, from different races, from different income levels, from different generations? Young people, are you open to learning and having community with people who are 5, 10, 50 years older than you? People who are older, do you have relationships and interactions with Christians who are younger than you? Earlier this year, I was invited to speak uh, at a local radio show station uh, during like a Sunday morning Christian talk show type hour. I didn't really know what I was getting myself into, um, but I was invited to speak on behalf of the the ministry that I work for. And uh, I arrived there and find myself quickly ushered into a cramped room with four or five other men from different churches in the community, different ethnic backgrounds. And we start out talking about covenant and marriage, quickly turns into conversation about race. A young black man had just been shot in Rantoul the night before. And they were processing this uh, in the moment, live on the radio. I don't know that I said anything helpful in this, but it was very helpful to hear from them. It was a very awesome and sweet experience to share in that fellowship with these people who were strangers to me, but united and our common redemption under Christ. How do we find experiences with community like that? Like the one that we are destined for? I know in my life I have experienced it in Christian conferences. It used to be very popular in the last couple years, not so much. They'll come back. But conferences where you're surrounded by hundreds, if not thousands of people from all over the country or all over the world worshiping together, different worship styles uh, and different languages, visiting other churches in town, or when we've gone on vacation, and we're like, okay, we're in Grand Rapids this Sunday, let's just pull up a random church and go visit them and experience community with people who are different from us, maybe worship a different way. I've experienced this kind of community in reading books and articles by Christians from different denominations and tribes and cultures and times and history. Pursuing this kind of fellowship, though, is part of our formation. It redeems us, it forms us by helping set our eyes on the things that are above, and it gives us these little tastes of that heaven reality that increases our faith and our hope for that day. It also helps us notice the ways that our specific culture that we're in is shaping us instead of the word instead of God. If you ever study the scripture with someone from a different culture, you'll pretty quickly realize that you've had some American Western lenses as you've read that passage of scripture because they're looking at it with their lens from their culture and community. It doesn't matter like which one is right or wrong necessarily. It just shows you and helps reveal the ways that you're being shaped by your culture and not the word and not by Christ. So we pursue community because it is our future. And the third point, we bear with community because Christ bore us. Verses 12, 13. 
put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. The way we ought to treat one another in Christian community differs greatly from the way we once lived. We see this dramatic juxtaposition in this passage, right? In verses 8, we see things like anger and wrath and malice. But now we see things like patience, compassion, meekness. The way we ought to live now in our community means putting off annoyance of others, not allowing that to reign in our hearts, but instead expressing patience for the brother and sister. Instead of wrath and the desire to just let them experience your anger and your judgment, compassion, sympathy for where they are at and their weakness. Instead of malice, intending to cause evil, meekness, which is power and control, gentleness. So even when we are needing to correct someone in the faith, we do it with gentleness instead of a desire to just push them down. Slander, instead of using our words and our tongues to tear people down and lie about them and to drag their reputation through the mud, to express kindness instead. This is a radical shift. And it occurs, first and foremost, when we are redeemed, when Christ redeems us and changes our hearts and starts giving us the capacity to live differently. But a shift occurs when we stop viewing our brothers and sisters as a means to our own joy and pleasure, something to serve us. Instead, we look at them in terms of what God is doing in their lives and what God wants to do through them in our lives. And I think this selfless view of, um, of loving others culminates in the command to bear with one another. In the book uh, Life Together, which I, I brought up here, so I really want to re- recommend it to you. I've read through it many times. It's very, very helpful. And notice how small it is, okay? It's not a difficult read at all, but it's uh, a tremendous book. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who uh, lived between 1906 and 1945, he was a renowned Christian minister, seminary professor. He was imprisoned and ultimately executed for being a part of a plot to kill uh, Hitler during Nazi Germany. And he wrote this really great book. I want to share his uh, description of the ministry we have of bearing with one another. He says, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That's Galatians 6.2. He says, thus the law of Christ is a law of bearing. Bearing means forbearing and sustaining. The Christian brother or sister is a burden to the Christian precisely because he is a Christian. For the non-Christian, the other person never becomes a burden at all. He simply sidesteps every burden that others may impose upon him. This is obviously a bit of hyperbole. Bonhoeffer isn't trying to say that non-Christians are incapable of ever bearing a burden for another person. Rather, he's saying that in the world as a whole, our brokenness, the broken world, is quick to abandon care for others if they become a burden or too much of a burden. And this is a value that we are exposed to all the time and buy into. 
The world tells us that relationships need to serve our purposes. And once they don't, they can be tossed aside. We see marriages uh, and relationships ending in divorce and unfaithfulness. People being disloyal to their friends. Business partners cheating on each other. Uh, Corporations mistreating people for the sake of profit. Governments forsaking treaties and alliances. Politicians valuing special interest groups over voters. Uh, One that I thought of this morning for no particular reason. Sending a child to their room in frustration because they're just getting in the way of what you feel like you need and want to do at that moment. This is not becoming of us as members of Redeemed Community. It is not permissible for us to just ghost people when they are no longer of interest for us, deciding that they're not worth even another word. We are called to bear the burdens. And this means trying not to force them into our idea of what they should be like as well. It means not becoming angry with their weaknesses or their oddities or the way their personality rubs against us the wrong way. It means pushing through those things to even, even to the point that we take joy in that person and the person that God is creating them to be, foibles and all. It's a Christian community that embraces the value of bearing with one another helps form us, not only because it demands that we attempt to bear with one another's, and in that attempt, we grow that ability to do it, but it also requires that we allow ourselves to be a burden to others, right? The scripture says, bear with one another, right? So you can't come into a community and expect that you're just going to put up with everyone else and bear with their stuff, but not allow yourself to be a burden to them. You were a burden to Christ. When he found you, what were you like? He found you at your worst. You came into that relationship with emotional baggage, with a whole lot of debt you couldn't pay off, a lot of sinful tendencies. You were definitely a burden to him. But he pursued you anyways. He took on your shame. He paid your debt with his own life. And he is still being patient with you as he is teaching you and showing you how to be kind back to him, how to be faithful back to him. Excuse me. When we are in community and bear with others like that, we proclaim to our brothers and sisters the love of God. And when we allow ourselves to be in real and authentic community, being vulnerable with our own junk, we get to experience a transformation of the transformational love of Christ through our brothers and sisters. So we bear with community because Christ bore us. Fourth point, forgive community because we are forgiven. It's verse 13, second half of it. And if one has complaint against another, forgiving each other, As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And what matter did did Christ forgive us? Did he forgive you partially, like only some of your sins? Did he forgive you temporarily, only to bring up your sins later on? No. As the hymn says, My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought, my sin not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, O my soul. 
when Christ forgave you, did he only forgive you for the light sins in your life? Or did he forgive you also those sins that you are most ashamed of? When Christ forgave you, did he do it only once? Or did he forgive you repeatedly, over and over, every time that you have come to him in repentance, even for that same nagging sin? When Christ forgave you, did he do it freely and quickly, without manipulation or stipulation? When Christ forgave you, did he do it in order to to make you feel low and defeated, to put you down? Or did he do it to lift you up, to raise your head, to restore you to a position in the community? That's how Christ forgives us. And as Christ forgave us, that is how we ought to forgive one another. The world shapes us by telling us that, and when people sin against us, that we can just ignore them. If forgiving them doesn't actually serve us, then we don't need to do that. But that is not the example that we have received, and that is not to be part of our nature as the redeemed people. Last point. Be thankful for community because it is a gift. Verses 14 and 15. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Paul ends his idea here with this simple command, and be thankful. Thankful for the community, the one body in which we were called together. Now I realize that a lot of people in this room right now are not always thankful for Christian community. For many people, it has been Christians or Christian groups that have caused them the most pain that they've experienced in their life. Many of you worshiping here uh, weren't a part of this particular Christian community a year or two ago. The reason why you were here may be in part because of hurt and failures of love and forgiveness in the Christian community that you you were a part of. And that means there's also a lot of people who aren't here today in church or any other church because of those kinds of hurts. There's also a whole sea of people who don't feel thankful for Christian community because they perceive only judgment and rejection because of their sins and mistakes. Christian community isn't perfect. When Paul says that love binds everything together in perfect harmony, he doesn't mean that Christians and churches in our community are going to be perfectly harmonious. He's just making a general summarizing statement that love is the overarching value that covers the way that we should think and act towards one another. That overall, as partakers in Christ's nature and his redeemed community, we ought to love each other as Christ loved us. But he is definitely not saying that we should now expect or even pursue some idyllic, utopian concept of Christian community. And it's really important that we understand this. You know, all the instructions we just read assume there's going to be plenty of tests and failures of love within our fellowship. In paraphrasing uh, life together again, Bonhoeffer says, uh, when this ideal picture that we might bring into community is destroyed, when the first failure takes place, and we see that the community is falling, our, falling apart, if we put on 
uh, this ideal picture, this expectation on that community, we will first become an accuser of each other and then an accuser of God and finally the despairing accuser of ourselves. Many a person has left the fellowship of believers and fellowship with God because of church hurt. However, in my experience, it isn't that sin and imperfection exists in the community that causes the most pain. It's the failure to own up to it, to admit that it was there, to apologize for it, to address it. And this usually comes out in an attempt to protect someone's perception or hope for what a perfect church is supposed to look like and what being a perfect pastor or leader looks like. So all this to say, we don't have a perfect community, community and we should be really thankful that our redeemed and yet imperfect community, sorry, we should be thankful that our community is imperfect even though it is redeemed. Why be thankful for this, this body of believers that will produce a test that will show your failures and weaknesses in loving others? Here's why. While you are still yet imperfect, the only community that you are ever going to feel comfortable in is one that is imperfect. Imagine you in your imperfect state as you are today are magically transported into a church full of perfect people that never sin or a small group of just perfect Christians, it would be crushing and devastating. It's actually partly why we are not fully experiencing God's presence and glory right now. We have not yet been fully made into what we will be. And while we are imperfect, the awesome magnitude of God's holiness and beauty would be crushing to us. So we can be thankful for our broken and yet redeemed community. And I want you to take a moment right now to just think through ways that you have experienced grace in the community that you've had with Christians and interactions with them. Have you experienced people moving closer to you even when you're hurt and mad? Have you experienced people not abandoning you even when you sinned against them or hurt them? Have you experienced people not abandoning you even when they have hurt you and they'd rather just go run and hide rather than deal with that offense? We have much to be thankful for in our community, even when it is broken and even when it is imperfect. Because in our redeemed community, we experience God's pursuit of us, him embracing us even though we are sinful. We experience him bearing with us. We experience his forgiveness. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you love us in this way and that you have set a wonderful example for us to follow. It is a hard example to follow. You are enabling us to do it through your Holy Spirit, as you are changing our hearts. And we thank you that you give us much grace. We thank, we thank you for the community you have provided us. Lord, we thank you for this church, brokenness in it and all. Pray that you would help us to love each other better. Help us to also 
extend the grace and forgiveness that you have extended to us. We need your help. We pray this in Jesus' name.